Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and screaming to let you know what the single greatest movie is of any given year. This year, or this season, we are doing 1985. We're in the midst of it now because we did one show. So, like, we're, we're fucking in it. Like, now we know what 85 movies are supposed to be. Oh, yeah. And then now... It's it's number one seed time, and so this is uh, one of the weirdest parts of any given season where is it all over, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. One of the people that is not just going to talk about it, but going to fight about it to see if he can beat his opponent and be my best friend is Mike Gravano. Happy to be here. Hope you've been enjoying your daily gift basket of muffins. Oh, a, did you win last week? I th- I might have won last week. Okay. Who can who can tell? Who can even remember? And I did not compete, right? You did not compete. You hosted. We're now uh, buying for your affections. So yeah, congratulations on your victory. There's only one person who lost, Ryan. I think you know that. The person who's going to step up this week and take that belt off his goddamn pants is Greg. Greg, how are you today? You know, I thought about my mistake all week long. What? Did I, where did I go wrong? <laughs> what happened? And it was because I went too hard at the movie. I, I I was I was attacking after hours instead of trying to like just celebrate it and just enjoy it. So tonight I am here to say Back to the Future. You know what? No problem free movie. Nothing to worry about. The number one seed of eighty five. The uh the one that should in all likelihood take it down. Um I would say that over the past five to ten years, um Back to the Future has raised in the conscious like estimation. Like people think that actually it's even better than we ever thought it was. I don't know when the last time... I'm not even going to ask if you guys have seen it before. I don't know when the last time you saw it was before this week. But did it hold up? Are you guys blown away by this stupid time travel teen movie? And how good is it? I think Yeah, I think it's delightful. When, when, when you compare it to other teen movies or other sci-fi movies at the time, it totally holds up. Like it's, I think it's doing way more interesting and fun work at the same time than the John Hughes oeuvre. I think it's our our classic conversation about what is a movie attempting to be and then how successful is it in meeting its own goals. It is definitely an example of a movie that sets the bar and then hits it. Uh, It is pure entertainment. It's a lot of fun. It's every bit as entertaining as I remember it being. My question is, is it really deep enough? Is there that second gear where it gives you something to think about where it's saying something about the world or is it mostly spectacle and entertainment which are both valid um, Mm -hmm. especially when we're talking about movies at this time it's every bit of those things but is it maybe a little too sugary and not not fibrous enough i i think it kind of reminded me in a lot of ways of uh heathers Not, not in a lot of ways in one main way is that Looking back now, it's like this is sugary and fun, and Heather's probably is arguably tackling things a little deeper than Back to the Future is. But I do think that without like after school specialing, but saying like this little handsome guy has a fucked up family and is going through a lot, and so like there's the the under the radar message of you don't know what anybody's going through, so just kind of like be cooler to each other seems to be like a a, a subtle sweet message of the film. Yeah, I think too, and like maybe this is because I'm watching. When I first saw it, I thought Marty McFly was the coolest person of all time. Like that's that's what you wanted to grow up and be. 
uh, just got ladies and could skateboard and play guitar. Like he had all of the cool stuff. Always said and, the right thing at the right time. Right. And was like when he was a little uh, like it was this weird mix of cool, but also a little Chandlery, a little Jim uh, uh, from the office, mm-hmm. like this mixture of things. Um, but watching it now as uh, an old person, I sort of realize like how his life is so fucked up and how his background fucks it up and how he also fucks it up. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not a perfect person. <laughs> His mom is like an absolute drunk. Yeah. A real problem drinker. Uh, his siblings are old people. Uh, his dad is like... <laughs> yeah, they are, they are 60-year-olds and 20-year-old bodies. <laughs> <laughs> his dad is like a husk of a person. And his best friend is an old scientist. Yeah, like a trust I- fund scientist who lives down the street. As a kid, I thought that was the coolest, but then now that I'm an adult and looking back at the times that I was very close with other adults, it was the worst parts of my life. I I wasn't friends with the lunch ladies in middle school because everything was going fine for me at home and at school. Like you're only <laughs> you're reaching out to adult figures when things are very deeply wrong. When you are ladling out high school slop while dressed as one of the characters from <laughs> Cats with your best friends, the fellow lunch ladies, something has gone askew. <laughs> yeah, but at the time you're like, that's just cuz I'm dope. I rollerblade <laughs> Oh, I badly play the drums. As Judd Apatow continues to uh, to stretch and do all these new things, like instead of you know Seth Rogen every movie, it's now Pete Davidson. I hope he hears this. I hope he finds his next movie in a young Mike Gravano and tells that four-hour tale. <laughs> no, it should be longer for sure. <laughs> all right, so we're going to try and figure out Greg, if you're right or not, or if your worries are, you know, uh, valid, is this deep? Uh, throughout the whole thing, we're probably going to do a lot of like, oh my god, it's it's so much fun and cool. But does it hold up? And if it does, uh, as far as like the depth goes, and if it doesn't, is the is the sweetness and the mainstreaminess of it enough to like keep it the favorite? All of that when we come back. Hey guys, real quick before we get back to the rest of the show, I just wanted to tell you about yourpopfilter.com. Go to that website to get everything that is Pop Filter, all of our podcasts, all of our articles, all of our secrets. Everything is on yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. And if you make that your new Amazon bookmark, then you can help Amazon less and us more. And isn't that what we all want to do in the world? Some of those podcasts that you can get on the website or in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your shows, uh, include the Superhero Hour Hour, where Cassie, Mike, and I discuss every single TV show based on a comic book, and the OCD, where Mike and I discuss every episode of the OCD. And then, of course, Movie of the Year, where Greg, Mike, and I try to figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. So make sure you're downloading all of those shows, leave a review, leave a star rating, leave a podcast, if you have an idea for an episode, just record it and email it to us, and we'll probably put it on the air. Thanks. Bye. Loosely based on the cartoon Rick and Morty, Back to the Future tells the tale of one Martifer Marty McFly and his improbable relationship with an elderly scientist, Doc Doc Brown. After two Libyans in a Volkswagen force Marty into the future, he must fight off his horny mother and help his pervert father learn to do violence so Marty and his two middle-aged siblings can't exist. <laughs> the pervert father does the violence to Biff, and the middle-aged children are free to exist once more in a family where everybody is the same age. 
Marty then teaches black people what rock and roll is and fucks off back to the future, which is our past at this point by more years than Marty travels. Yikes. Marty travels 30 years into the past to the year 1955. The reason for this is the original conceit of the premise, which what would it be like to hang out with your parents as teenagers? But Taste Buds, I ask you this. Are there other reasons why the movie might think that 1955 was the perfect year to compare and contrast to 1985? I, th- I think what one is the, not t- for the comparison, but 55 I do think was a lot of the Roswellian spaceship stuff. So just that is a big year for UFOs. And, UFO and they got a lot things. of mileage out of that. Yeah. And so right there, you're like, well, it probably happened anyway. So it's like there's so many like comic book stories that take place because of that crater in Siberia. And good for not only Farm Boy, but also George McFly to have a copy of that comic magazine <laughs> right next to them every time Marty's in his yellow suit. I do have to say, though, if you pitched this movie to me now and you said someone was going to do time travel back to 1955, I would think that you were going to engage with some maybe interesting social issues mm-hmm. that highlighted the difference between 1955 and whatever year you came from. And the movie certainly steers clear of that and opts for an older view of the fifties. I think one that like existed in our pop culture understanding for a long time, which was kind of like, you know, maybe like perfect Ar- Arcadian, you know, everyone was good to each other. Mm-hmm. Everything was working out fine. Yeah. You know what but, it is? It's right. sitcoms as history books. Yeah. Right. Like we'll but, watch the idealized version and think that's fact. Yeah. But that does feel like on surface that it feels like that's what Marty expected to see, and he got back and he's like, "Oh no, 1955 uh, had issues. So things are cleaner because they're newer, but there are rapists. Everybody just knows is there. Like that. There's there's a, a CD underbeller, and could it go seedier for sure? But it's basically a Disney movie, and so I do think Marty realizes that things weren't great in 1955. The things are bad. What's almost more interesting is. 85's depiction of 85 because then it's like <laughs> glitz and glamour everything's great but hill valley sucks man Th- this movie is saying look at reagan's america this is terrible fuck you if you think it isn't i got a little nervous that they were going to dig too much into the goldie wilson thing where mm-hmm. once we start electing black mayors then cities go to shit i i don't think that the movie really did that but yeah i do think that it, it there's a lot of what you guys think is progress and I never—I swear to God, I never noticed this. I never noticed that when he skateboards home and it, th- it goes past the two lion estates thing that, like, how you enter his block, just covered in spray paint. Uh-huh. Yeah. All of the buildings in 85 in the town square are, like, each one uh, sells dildos. Yeah, like, dude. Thing, <laughs> things one are just, like, bad. Porno theater. Uh, yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's got to be on purpose, right? The corner yeah. diner has been replaced by an aerobic studio. But it, it does almost feel like and maybe this is putting too much credit in the movie's favor, that it's saying, yes, on the surface, things seem worse now, but jerks, things were always kind of gross underneath. Yeah, I mean, I think it certainly makes 55 look like a like a very problematic time for yeah. just, like, male-female relations. Male-female, and Strickland, the principal, is is this weird little bald fascist, no matter what eras. He tells a child, nobody in his family has ever what? amounted to anything and never will, so why try at all? Like... And is like shoving his face into Jennifer's his fist in Jennifer's face to give her a tardy slip. Like, and is th- the same weird character power. as the guy from Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> they use not the same actor, but the same exact character. I like the quality of having him be kind of like timeless. Mm-hmm. Like he does not seem any different in a movie that does a really bad job depicting young people as old people. Uh, just having him look essentially the same between the I two mean, different years was a good choice. 
There's a part where 1985 Doc Brown like says, "Wait, hold on, what's like?" And then like lifts his neck makeup to like <laughs> put it back in, and then keeps talking to Marty. <laughs> but yeah, so like, is the it, the argument is not that necessarily that 55 is better than 85, but you think that it's uh, we wore our darkness on the inside in 55, yeah. and now we're just letting it out to the surface a little bit. Mm-hmm. That we're glamorizing, especially like so it, it is comparing how everything is different, but like. It's pretty interesting just looking at Lorraine and George because Lorraine is very different and then life crumbled her down. It's not 85's fault. Life crumbled her down. George is exactly the same. Life didn't crumple down. He was born crumpled and just stayed the same for decades. Well, did did life or did George? You know, because we'll spoil like the ending and stuff, but once we get a different George, we do get a different Lorraine. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I'm not saying that I'm not going to take away all agency from Lorraine, but if you were with George, how do you enjoy your life? If you're with yeah. original 85 George. Well, that's, I mean, you can see that in her eyes when she's like telling the story of them getting together, that even though it's like a powerfully emotional moment for her, it's also kind of like the end of everything good in her life. Mm-hmm. It was like the one time he did anything and acted in any sort of manly fashion. And now she lives in extra disillusionment for like having it happen. Right. And deals with a disillusionment by being in a constant vog of straight vodka. I did not pick up on that until this viewing. And I've watched it as an adult. It's been a long time. But I did not pick up on that she is miserably drunk. It's crazy to me like how much I could recreate this movie shot for shot and yet still not see things. Like her mm-hmm. drinking was definitely something as a kid. I just didn't see. I didn't know what that bottle was. So right. I didn't know what it meant. But it, or you didn't know that if she was a, like a normal drinker, she would have put something else in there. Yeah, but she does not. There is no cranberry juice in and her. For for her to be doing that and then lecturing her kids on how to date and who to be, and then we because I, I remembered young Marty talking to young Lorraine and being like, "Oh, you shouldn't drink," and I was just like, "Oh, he's just trying to like get doesn't want his mom to jump his bones, so don't drink." But like now. That there was way more potency in that scene, other than oh my god, this kid and his mom might make out. It's like oh, he is really sad that his mom becomes a booze hound and is trying to stop it now while she's a teenager. Also, he's I like, never picked up on that. He's seeing his mom mm-hmm. get herself into a really compromising situation. He just happens to be the guy that she's with, but he's yeah. like watching a young version of his mom get drunk in a compromising position with some kid she doesn't even know, and so it's and- like so fraught in that way. We don't have time or it's on purpose to see Marty do normal teenage things, you know, like uh, all the bad things, you know, we don't see him do graffiti like they all do or (laughs) smoke drugs or anything, but we just see the cool stuff. But he is watching the mom do all the classic, his mom do all the classic, like bad teenage stuff. Right. And as a 17 year old, he, you know, he's taken out of it enough and then put back into it where he's like, no, I fucking get it. Like. Now I am the parent here, and I'm so yeah. nervous about what this is going to do to your life. And then trying to find that balance between what he's thinking and then how Lorraine eventually ended up in first 85, which is you can't do anything, and it has to be exactly like how my childhood was, you know? Which I, I think is a big problem with the boomers, is that anything that's different than the way that they grew up, they have a serious issue with. I do well, have to I, say, though, yeah. it might have fucked us up to see a movie like this where a kid is trying to fix his codependent parents. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's not the role of a child. And yet we grew up like with this movie as like, you know, you have to do whatever it takes to raise your parents to be the kind of people that you can look up to. And it, it's fucked up then. But now that we are adults right. and given the time and place we are recording this for sure, we should all Marty McFly a little better and train our parents. <laughs> <laughs>
Mike, you uh, you were too young when your parents got divorced, right? You don't remember it? They, uh, I was a save the marriage baby. They were divorced before I was a year old. Um, and so that moment definitely was your fault that time. Uh, I do remember having conversations between me and my brother were like probably eight and six or somewhere around there and having conversations of like, all right, what do we do? Let's, we're going to figure this out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's up to us to raise these fucking children. Well, so many movies in the 80s were, they, they, we'll get to it with the Goonies, is uh, you can't rely on sure. adults, you have to fix them. You do know better. Uh, <laughs> while everybody's spatting, like, teens think they know everything. It's like, well, I don't want to say blame the stuff they're watching. This season's going to be really interesting because I, I wonder if it was more pronounced in this time. Because it really does feel like this kids have to fend for themselves and save all of humanity. That's mm-hmm. always a popular story to tell kids, but it, the 80s seemed like, especially 85, full of more of these stories than like any other time. And it's hard not to see that against the backdrop of like weird social upheaval. Yeah. But yeah, and it made us, the because we grew up in these movies, that's why we're doing this podcast, to save society, you know? <laughs> like, we're, we're still running on the fumes of that. But, you know, contrast that with like um, the Mockingbird, the Hunger Games stories. Because that story, those stories are not just about saving society. It's about kind of like destroying society as the only means of saving mm-hmm. it because it's become so perverse. That's very different than 85's like you can get your parents back together. It's like you, the modern message is like you should destroy society. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the real evolution. Like both have like it is up to the kids because some people remember that like because you do get baked in the older you get, you're going to be set in your ways. So it is up to the kids to change things around. And the the evolution is just you can save the current system to no burn the system down and make a new one. I get, maybe the difference between like us and then you know the kids who are turning twenty or twenty five right now and who are actually going to save society is that we were waiting for like this one perfect heroic moment that yeah. movies taught us to wait for, and they figured out like oh fuck that we'll just disrupt from you know the start of the system. It's That's a grind. The only way that yeah they know it's, that it's, it's a grind and they're out there grinding it. You know like it, the, the music is never going to swell. Yeah. But, we learned it was a grind from Marty, and we just thought that meant you take your skateboard along that curb and look dope. Man, does this movie have a lot of skitching in it or what, right? Dude, I got so I got so nervous about all the skitching. Like, I can't believe I'm of the age to be like, no, you're going to get hurt. And then for him to be like, like the last time we see him do it, it's to a cop it's car? It's on a cop car. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here, Marty? Marty, watch out. It's the Marty. A <laughs> cab, Marty. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to figure out all of the music of 1985. Mount Rushmore is a mountain that is full of gigantic president's heads, but what if instead of presidents, it was closer to, like, the presidents of the United States of America. Those are musicians, not from 85. What if they were, would they make the Rushmore? You guys, you guys know what I'm doing here? Clear, so clear. <laughs> Thanks for laying it out. If we were going to build a Mount Rushmore to the music of 1985, what are the four heads that should be on it? Was that clear? Much. Okay. You um, nailed it, Ryan. Thanks, guys. You're hosting the F out of this. Grand. Um, I'm going to go around. I'm going to ask you guys, who do you think should be on it? Uh, that is just a suggestion. I will decide whether it makes it on or not, as is the power that I control. Greg, as the challenger, who is going to be the slammy D, very obvious, make it on the mountain kind of person? Okay, for me, it has to be Tears for Fears. 
in 85 their album songs from the big chair came out uh that this the first song on this is shout shout let it on out Uh uh-huh these are the things i can do without so it's also a list i love a list song (laughs) where he just lists all the things he can do without and then everybody wants to rule the world which is an even better song than shout is this the is this also the song from the end of the Breakfast Club, or is that a band that no, sounds just like them? It's a band that sounds just like them and is like nobody. Like if I, I, because I know from doing research for this, I looked it up and it's like it's just not someone you would know. It's a one-hit wonder. Songs from the Big Chair is eight song is eight, the the album is eight songs long. You know what? Thumbs up. It's an EP. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, yeah, love, I love that shit. <laughs> I feel like every new album I go to listen to is an hour twenty-four easy. Um, yeah, I do think that uh, it's not just that like all their hits but it's also if you if you were to like ask someone what does 85 sound like they would open their mouth and a voice like the lead singer of tears for Uh fears voice would come out you know it just it encapsulates just what it was so i'm saying on mike where are we at uh i'm gonna go to the on the nose i think the reason for this season this has to be this is his one year there's no other year that huey lewis could just be one of the biggest musical acts, but it's not that it's so crazy that this like generic, no subgenre of rock, but it is singular. No other band since the news or before has sounded like Huey Lewis and sports came out, uh, mid 84. And then at this point they're like, no, we're making a, a, a giant blockbuster movie. We got to get the only guy possible to get. Yep. And it's the second movie to try to do that. Ghostbuster tried to do it cause he was so big. And he said, no, I'm waiting for back to the future. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's so fun. Is he in this movie? Yes. Yeah, he plays like the, the head of like the choosing the band for the, the high school. It's just too loud. Yeah. Um, Do you guys, last week we did After Hours and it had Cheech and Chong, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like all these things have to have their... I don't know, stunt casting to Uh say like, no, don't get it twisted. We are from fucking 85. (laughs) Does it stand out in this movie, Huey Lewis being in it? Or does it like, is it perfect and fit? I think it's perfect and fit. (laughs) (laughs) This is how all conversations should go. Because I didn't didn't know it was him. And it's also like, good for him because it's 85, man. Like Black Flag was burning down Hermosa Beach this year. So for him to play a character to say Huey Lewis is too punk rock because the pinheads are just playing the news. Uh, So for him to like act like he's really cutting edge and cool, good for him. It's one of those cameos where the the read, the delivery just says, I'm not an actor. (laughs) And so then right away, I didn't recognize him, but right away you're like, wait, what the fuck was that? Like, like, I know that's not the director. Who the hell is that? It's got to be somebody. And my wife was like, oh, it's Huey Lewis. So it's never worth it to have someone (laughs) pop up where they do a weird line reading and then it's supposed to be like, can you believe Huey Lewis is in this movie? Then what the fuck cares? (laughs) Yes, I can. I actually can. Uh, What about the fact that uh, the words Huey... And Lewis and News are also similar, you know. Yeah, like, like, does that you sound? Yeah. If it instead of Buddy Hall and the Crickets, it was Buddy Huddy and the Cruddies. Like, oh man, they'd be way bigger, dude. You're cooking they, with gas now. <laughs> that would have made them bigger. All right, I think that part of it, Mike. I'm going to be honest, is because of the reason for the season. Yes. Um, but still, it's not like 
It's not like he was unheard of back then. He was a fucking superstar. You can hear and Patrick like the- Bateman, or was it Christopher Bateman, <laughs> the guy from American Psycho, like yeah. giving the pitch for him. Oops, sorry. Thank you. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> I'll give my two for that. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, it was also amazing because he was like such a fucking nerd square. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. he he thought he was like this loud rocker, but really he was one of those guys who just said, "Old people like slightly loud music too," and did it. Also, it, they're 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 playing it. It wasn't too loud. It was just very bad. They did a bad job. That's what he should have said. That's and bad. they did all they did all the things you need to do when you're performing, which is like sort of look at each other, yeah. like sort of smile and be like, yeah, you're doing it. This is this is the song. There is but nothing fifteen hard- seconds in. That's uncool. Don't stop somebody fifteen seconds into their song. Not to be this guy, but there's nothing harder than being in a band and going to a thing where you have to just do one song. Like yeah. <laughs> that is the weirdest feeling ever. Okay, let's play one song now. <laughs> Mostly because the load time, like yeah. it's so hard to <laughs> it's set up. Fifteen minutes to play for three minutes, and like as you get to the end of the song, you're like ready to perform, and then it's yeah. nope, that's you're just, warmed up. Yeah, <laughs> your balls are chocker blocked, but you know what, you're done. Greg, you are up. We have two on. We have two left. Who do you think? Okay, I always gotta rep Tom Petty. Any chance that I get, eighty-five was not the strongest year for him, but it does have. Hit the like my favorite Tom Petty song, which is "Don't Come Around Here No More." Uh, and again, I've brought it up a few times, but music videos—you can't like divorce how important music videos were from music at this time. And that video is like so awesome at a time when people are doing videos where they're just like standing in front of a green screen. Uh, that's like a fully realized world, the Alice in Wonderland setting. A girl is cake at one point. It's creepy, uh, but a girl is cake. A girl is cake. Yeah, Alice turns into what cake. What the shit? Check it out, dude. It'll blow your mind. It'll change your perspective on shit. And it, it's different cake back then than what it means in music videos now. Oh, yeah. I should have specified. This was like actual Duncan Hines delicious cake. <laughs> As opposed to gross butt. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to throw that on the maybe just because, yeah, that feels like a Greg specialty. Mike, what do you got? Uh, I, again, I think encapsulating the year that George Michael had two – songs in the top three songs of the billboard top 185 both as george michael with careless whisper and as wham with wake me up before you go go uh and man this guy was so cool and we didn't deserve him then and more people should be into him now george michael with careless whisper um i know that this is iconic and not favorite but that song is so 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 awful that i'm just gonna put him on the maybe pile for now (laughs) um so i've got two definites two maybes let's hit the speed round um Let's do two more or one more each. Greg, what do you got? Susudio came out this year. Phil Collins. Uh, Phil Collins was the drummer who dared to say, I'm going to be bigger than this band. <laughs> I'm going to fucking go out <laughs> on my own with my drums. Uh, Susudio is so big and it's so 1985. Honestly, I'm kind of thinking, Ryan, you should give him both of the remaining spots. <laughs> one for like most of his head and then the that other spot for that forehead. <laughs> his, his drum set. It's crazy, but Phil Collins was a destructive force of nature in 1985. I'm in. Mike, what do you got? Uh, I want two heads, one head, one head spot, so maybe a two-faced scenario because uh, these two gentlemen looked at each other in 84. Uh, do they know it's Christmas came out? And they went, no, no, no. We shouldn't make this just about holidays. And then Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson let, wanted everybody to give money to Africa and let them know we are all the world. Uh, so I think representing one of the biggest moments in musical history – it should be Richie and Jackson representing that. Don't do it, Ryan. Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson? Yep. 
Don't get All into right. it. That song's so awful. It is awful, but it was pretty big because yeah. it did tell us that <laughs> we are the world. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. Um, just to make everybody happy, I'm going to do uh, this and then... That didn't make me happy. This. That didn't make me happy. And then this because Tom Petty, George Michael, they're going on. Your 85 Mountain is Tears for Fears, Huey Lewis, Phil Collins, and thanks to the We Are the World... Every other musician that was around <laughs> back then, including Tom Petty and George Michael. Good job, guys. That is your Rushmore. When we come back, let's get back to Back to the Future. Thank you for listening and for your support. If you want to support us more directly, go over to patreon.com slash your pop filter. Pick a tier. Shed a tear, get some extra stuff. There's extra shows, extra long shows. Uh, you can make Ryan draw you pictures, make me write you a poem. There's all kinds of stuff over there. You can even get a shirt off our very own backs. That's patreon.com slash your pop filter. We also want to say thank you to Shady Monk for providing all the tunes you hear on this show. Check him out on Spotify, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, wherever the kids get their music that I'm too old to know. Check out Shady Monk. Back to you, Greg. Back to the Future has Marty involved in several complicated relationships, let's say. I want to take a look at a lot of them and then see if we can draw sort of like a conclusion from everything about what is the movie doing here. Let's first start with Marty and Lorraine. Is this movie just a classic OG teen incest sex comedy romp? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think I was surprised by how prominent the Marty and his mom potentially getting together was in the story. I feel like mm-hmm. I remember the car and I remember uh, the hanging out in the downtown area and how it was different. But the movie really sits on the fact that his horny mom wants to get with him. And I love that she's horny. I like that energy, but there's so much, <laughs> so much of the movie really is like, is she going to try to jump his bones now? Because she basically they're at dinner and she's like grabbing his thigh yeah. Uh, to the point and that he's squirming in front of her, her for 55 conservative parents. <laughs> Upstairs before dinner, uh, you know, she declares, oh, I've seen your underwear. I've seen all of it. I took um, your pants off. And then right when the mom starts like, calling them down for dinner, she makes one last grab. And I think it's just for nuts. Just like, <laughs> let me just hold those nuts real quick. There is something so innocent about her sexuality. Like, like, and, and may I think that's give credence to Leah Thompson, who I think is an underrated American hero. It's got uh, big Tina Belcher energy. Yes. We're like, I, it's a dog chasing a car. I don't know what I'm going to do with it once I get it. <laughs> but like, and what, what I think is important other than changing how porn would be for the next 40 years is he this is what finally makes him see his mom as a human being and not just like a crusty old drunk who's angry at everything this is to see this kind of vitality and unfortunately virality in his mother he's like oh she's a human with needs and desires have you guys seen like how porn has fully come together after this uh, after everything you just said which is tina and gene belcher just going at it as hard as they can (laughs) oh come on nobody wants that that's offensive to me personally. <laughs> Boom shakalaka. <laughs> um, but then, then his dad too is this weird little smarmy pervert. Uh, oh yeah, and, like it's like a little worm of a man, and in so a way, this becomes like the the reverse Oedipus story, right? Like the mm-hmm. son decides not to sleep with the mom, and the mom in like Jocasta would be very jealous about this. But obvi- when the mom kisses Marty, she kind of knows, like, oh shit, some- my body's telling me not to do this. 
And then the son actually restores the father to his place of prominence, actually turns him into a father. And so it like totally reverses that myth. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if there is something going on where, and this might be like way after the math philosophizing, uh, but where the mom, the reason the mom is turned on and the reason that the dad will just keep uh, letting this person invade his fucking life that came uh-huh. out of nowhere is because there is some sort of like, you know, uh, mama bear, papa bear, to baby bear sense about them that like, right. maybe I'm not doing it right right now, but I like maybe it's not best to like kiss you, but there is something incredibly compelling about you. And it's mm-hmm. because that like, you know, you're from my loins and I can feel that. He probably looks density. just like her fucking dad, right? He probably looks and acts like his own grandfather, which would make sense. And so, yeah, she's going to find that attractive. But the movie does not like kind of like bring that up as like a little, huh, wouldn't that be weird? It is about that. That's, yeah, it's, a, it's about incest. Th- there's two interesting moments. One is Doc Brown tells him after Lorraine follows Marty and and he's like, uh, I forget how Doc words it. And Marty's like, you mean my mom's got the hots for me? It's yeah. like you were ignoring that. I know you just got hit by a car, but you didn't notice in her dark bedroom that she was grabbing your shit. Uh, <laughs> and then he knows that the part of the plan is George, I'm going to be in the car with Lorraine, and you have to save her. He's like, why? He's like, because I'm going to be doing stuff that girls don't want to like. That's, oh, his it's... plan is to fake date rape her before yeah. Bish comes in and actually yeah, does it. it. Is, Th- there are other plans, man. Don't stop troubling. at the first one. That's troubling, right? There's like a good 10 minutes right. of this movie where Marty is just trying to like gear himself up to sexually assault his mom. <laughs> like, we're that's we're the supposed only to be stoked. <laughs> like, we're so glad that he's the hero because he finally decides not to fake date rape Lorraine. But, but it there does are show so that... many other plans. There's a lot of different ways you can go with this to make this guy seem cool. But for mm-hmm. whatever reason, he goes right. And then it's the plan is foiled because Biff comes along and he starts to sexually assault her. Right. Like, they, that's how the plan uh... falls apart. Another sexual assault takes place. It, it, you know, it, it, there's a lot of darkness underneath this movie. But, but, but one of it is that Marty doesn't listen because the whole time Lorraine is saying, I want you, Calvin. I want you, Calvin. And he's like, what? And the whole time... He's nervous around Jennifer, who's like, I love you. We should be like, he just doesn't listen to women. That is definitely a, uh, an integral flaw within the Marty McFly character. One part of the movie that uh, burned my brain when I saw this for the first time was he is, in the beginning of the movie, he's talking to Jennifer and two girls in like 80s aerobics yes. outfits walk by. And she so patiently, so kindly takes his chin and turns it back towards her and away from them. Yeah. I've never gone out with a girl like that. I had forgotten that that happened, and when it did, I audibly said, "What the fuck?" <laughs> well, it's <laughs> and, and that's seated because when he's getting to school, he like skateboards past an aerobics class, and they all wave at oh, him. Yeah. So that there is something going on with the older women in this town and Marty McFly. I think that there was this like era in the mid '80s that like is sort of bookended by Marty and Ferris, where this like boyish kid who looks five years younger than he is can just pull all the ass po- like everyone in the town wants to fuck this mm-hmm. kid that's because it's a male script writer and he's like what would sure. be the coolest thing ever the girls waving well I-, I do want to talk about george a little because it is interesting not only does he need marty to d at pull him uh he he is a beta cuck in the shittiest worst way yeah because he is just peeping tom and that's gross uh but not only – so there's the bullies, right? Biff and his crew are making fun of him. When they start to make fun of Marty, instead of, like, being empathetic towards Marty and I'm like, yeah, that sucks. I'm like, he laughs. Too. He turns yeah. and laughs, too. He this guy laughs. sucks. George McFly yeah. is a bad person. He's the kind of nerd who does grow up and is like, people were always shitty to me, so now I'm going to be shitty to them. And isn't that in this – in the 1985 2 version, he's a piece of shit. 
you can yeah. tell he's a piece of shit. Like he, 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 now he just treats Biff like garbage instead of Biff treating him like garbage. That's <laughs> awful. Yeah. Uh, there's two times where uh, George just walks away because Marty has become like in the spotlight. Um, and one is after the big skateboard maneuver thing. And you can see him in the background just be like, wow, fuck it. But the other time is when the first time he talks to Lorraine, Marty's like, uh, hey, George, I think this girl likes you. And his first thing is like, put the arm on the locker, yes. move in real close and be like, so Lorraine. Hello. And honestly, something is wrong with you if you're portrayed by Crispin Glover. That's just, like, <laughs> I don't want to be mean, but that's just the case. Like, you are obviously an unctuous little creep if that's the guy <laughs> who is playing you. The other, I think, most nuanced relationship, if I can say that, besides Marty and young Lorraine is uh, Marty and Doc. And we talked about this a little bit uh, when the podcast first started. But looking back on it now, and this is now that we're adults, and then, like, post-Rick and Morty, wh- what is going on there and i don't want to like try and like explain how they met but like is this healthy and what are they getting out of each other i i think it is healthy i i think like <laughs> be, like uh, i don't well, i guess it's not inherently unhealthy because i do think something we've lost in modern society is mentorship outside of our family like we used to have bigger communities and I yeah think- greg when he what he's talking about right now is he's the marty and i'm the doc so <laughs> yeah. be careful with the joking and it's it's that Doc is ostracized because he's this weird old person who also, I think, part of why the town doesn't like him is he lost his money. So he's no longer important in the way that they think is important. He's like a and, trust fund scientist, right? Like, right. His, who pissed it all away. He's family money, but he's used it to make weird helmets and time machines. And and Marty, other than Jennifer, does not have friends. So I do think it's that these outcasts found each other. Marty like does chores for him and helps him with experiments. And Doc right. gives him a friend and a sweet speaker to plug his guitar but Marty's. Into. Marty is popular, right? Like, I mean, he he's greeted by everyone all over town. The one thing that but we don't get that is yeah. The one thing that That's we don't true. get, which is classic eighties, is park your car, walk into the parking lot. Everyone says what's up, and he's like, "Oh, how you doing?" Uh, windmill high fives to all the kids. Is and this in like the a residual? Sequels. Is th- is this like a religious residual Michael P. Keaton thing? Like, is this because he's supposed to be? the young adult, the kid that does hang out with like the lunch ladies because he's just always gotten on with adults better because he's smart and verbal. I I think I'd be fascinated to see his and Jennifer's origin story because he's so like George afraid of rejection that how she had to go after him. But it does seem like kids would not like Marty and because he has a, he's a smarmy dick. But uh, in the sequel, you see other high schoolers who fucking hate him. The guy who always racism and calls him chicken. Uh, and so he's there's not a little. lot of evidence. Flea? Are you talking about Flea? Flea, yeah. Yeah. He's also a little dude, which is always tough. Mm-hmm. Man, In the but- 80s, little dudes had it rough. <laughs> when him and Jennifer are in a scene together, uh, there's like 16 layers of clothing on between the two <laughs> of them. This is the most layered movie I've ever seen. It reminds me a lot of uh, growing up with Bart Simpson, who, when I was a kid, I thought was super cool. And then find- coming in to find out that, like, all of the bullies hate him more than anyone else. You yeah. know, like yeah. he's in his own way nerdier than Millhouse. Um, but yeah, so like, but from let's go from Doc's standpoint then. What is he getting out of the relationship? Well, Doc's Somebody, such a weirdo, so probably yeah. he can't really get on with other adults. But this like super bright kid that wants to hang out with him and is interested in how his different inventions work and everything. They're both you know a couple outcasts who find each other mm-hmm. at one point in i think 55 doc marty's telling her him about uh jennifer and his the first thing out of his mouth is like oh she's pretty <laughs> like, yeah settle down 
Wait, do you wish that I was pretty? Like, are you only <laughs> hanging out with me because no teenage girls will hang out with you, Doc Brown? Marty, did you see your boobs? <laughs> <laughs> Let me see your cell phone. I, I just, I, I'm wondering if the movie is doing something where, uh, like, life is better when you take the time, and we'll get to that word in a second, with relationships no matter how strange they are. And I feel like everybody's happier when they're working shit out and getting closer, and they're less happy when they're just in their own bubble. Mm-hmm. Is that? Do you guys see that at all? Yeah, I, I can see that argument, especially like Marty and Doc are the most accepting characters. Like anybody who comes near them, whatever era they're in, they're just like, "Oh, what's your deal?" Like, <laughs> and look at. Uh, the, I'm sorry, Mike. I was interrupting you. No, look at what I was going to say. Look at the dinner scene uh, at the beginning of the movie. Like, what's characterized there, Ryan, is exactly what you're talking about, which is everybody in their own world. The dad in the world of the TV, the mom in the world of her drinking. Um, the kids in the world of like their own social lives, right. and so it's definitely not mir- together. It's definitely yeah. mirrored because uh, the dad, uh, Lorraine's dad, wheels in the TV as soon as he can in 1955, and everybody does that thing, that classic thing of I'm going to eat without looking at my food yeah. or the people around me. I'm going to stare at this TV, and even motherfucking little Jason Hervey from the Wonder Years. <laughs> yeah, you guys dude. see that asshole? <laughs> yeah, fuck we that kid see forever, you, Jason. Uh, and it's interesting because in both of those scenes, but I think Marty throughout, uh, he's still trying to talk. Everybody is glued to the TV yeah. and doing whatever. And he is trying to interface on any level, whether it's whining, complaining, or just telling them about, here's my weekend. Like he does try to have human conversations more than a lot of the other Well, cause characters. he's like a hyper verbal character. Like his main characteristic, he's like mm-hmm. a bard or something. Like yeah. it, everything has <laughs> to be language with him because that's where he has power. And so when he's interacting with people who don't pay attention to what he's saying, he can't like, he can't break through the, the bubble. Right. But doc is someone who basically does a pretty good job. Doc does a better job of paying attention to what Marty's saying than he does to paying attention to anything else that's going on. Yes. non sciency in his life. Yeah. I mean like just the fact that like, there's this weird scene where Doc calls at 115, needs him to get to Twin <laughs> Pine Mall. And he's just like, okay, cool. Calls a fucking junior or senior in high school and says, yeah. get down here. And uh, he's asleep in his clothes and then finds like a bit of food on his bed and then eats it. And like those, even at 17, those are not things that like my parents would allow to happen, you know? Yeah. Like th- that's all that that's all signs of like this kid is basically a bachelor at age 15 mm-hmm. and just raised himself. I think there's a chance, as dark as this sounds, I think there's a chance that if the the events of this movie don't transpire, then this family is going towards something really dark. You know, between the mom's substance abuse issues and the dad's, like, detachment from reality. Like, we we find a family deeply in crisis, and it turns out okay because the kid is able to save everybody. Still a problematic message. But without that intervention, like, this could have been very hereditary in no time. (laughs) (laughs) Which, but, like, I mean, that's sort of what led me to, like, talk to each other look at each other you know like uh, i didn't like family dinners as a kid but i'm starting to see their importance where yeah we all had to speak all right guys we gotta take a break hold on there's a robot that wants to say something oh shit you guys know how trivia works i'm going to ask the questions you guys are going to buzz in by saying your name if you buzz in before i'm done reading the question that will result in 42 points to your opponent yikes yeah so I'm going to make it very clear when I'm done reading a question by, like, lifting my voice a little bit and okay. then saying the word question mark. Number one. In an original version, Doc had a sidekick named Shemp. What was special about Shemp? Mike. Mike? Was he, like, a green floating alien from another dimension? 
such, I mean, you were definitely in the right place in time, Greg. but no. Greg. Donkey. No, not a donkey. What is a donkey? The, it was the back half of donkey. Ass. <laughs> it was a monkey. <laughs> a monkey. He was an orangutan. How quickly would I trade either one of you away so I could be friends with an orangutan? Mike. Greg. Mike. Uh, we went to a zoo and you tried to do it. You tried to shove me through the bars and grab the orangutan's hand. So less than instantly. Whatever quicker than instantly is. That is correct. Mike. It's less than instantly. Who was originally cast as Marty McFly? Greg. Greg. Michael J. Fox. Good guess. What a lovely <laughs> trivia question that would have been. It's a trick. Mike. Mike. Uh, the guy from Mask. Not the Mask. What is his fucking name? Eric? Mike. Eric Stoltz. Nice. So, Greg, hopefully you paid attention there. What other 1985 movie about a young man with a horribly disfigured face did Eric Stoltz go to star in instead? Greg. M- Greg. Mask. That Damn is it. correct. Yeah. <laughs> I, and another one. For Mike's stupidity. Uh, <laughs> name one line that Eric Stoltz said as the mask. Mike. Mike. They call me Cuba Pete. <laughs> Greg. Is that your impression of the guy? Greg. It's not a mask. <laughs> the kid makes fun of him and he says it's not a mask. Uh, okay, so you're going to say literal lines from the movie. <laughs> uh, I have uh, somebody stop me. Uh <laughs> face from looking like this and i am not smoking number six <laughs> why did the car have to hit 88 miles per hour to travel through time greg greg to get to the other side <laughs> mike mike uh for enough time to build up so there can always be drama of the car driving because if it was 40 miles an hour doc can't fall off the thing and refall climb up the thing and fall again doc puts it you can go 88 miles per hour driving away from you. It does not have to go towards yeah. you. Yeah. And he puts it in front of them. And then Marty like takes a step away and he's like, no, you stand here right in front of this car. <laughs> that Honestly, that one moment was the most Rick and Morty moment of the entire movie. <laughs> yes. Where Marty tries to get away and Doc grabs him and is like, ah, Marty, we're going down together, Marty. We're going to be together forever, Marty. It's okay. so clear he's not a good scientist. Like because of that, he puts the dog in. It's the first he doesn't put in nothing to try test it out yeah. first. It's the dog. Like he he's not great he's, at uh, safety. He says bring a camera, and then he doesn't send the camera through time. Why wouldn't you send the camera through time? To get all those like blue bolts and yeah. lightning things that see, you get to see. You do that before your your beloved dog. Um. The answer is the production designers thought eighty eight looked cool as a number. It's number true. seven. What's another cool looking number? Greg. Mike. Greg. 69, brother. <laughs> Mike. 72. Uh, you guys are both wrong. That's the only cool number is 88. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Huey Lewis turned down writing the Ghostbusters theme song, only to write multiple songs for Back to the Future and star in it and get a poster on the wall in Marty's room. What's Huey's issue with the actual Ghostbusters theme song? Mike. Mike? He, uh, deeply religious, does not believe in ghosts. Or busting them. Greg. Or busting them. <laughs> Greg. He loves ghosts, and he wants to support them in every way that he can. Incorrect. Um, Huey Lewis turned it down, so they got Ray Parker Jr., who copied a different Huey Lewis song. It is the exact song, I Want a New Drug. Uh, what is Weird Al's version of I Want a New Drug? Greg. Greg. I want a new rug. <laughs> that is incorrect, Mike. Mike, uh, I just need a hug. <laughs> that is incorrect. I want a new duck. Number 10, do you guys want a new drug? Greg. Mike. Greg. No, I, the, I've liked the ones I've had, but I think I'm done. Mike. 
yeah, the, all the future movies have the ones where you like put in your eye, and I'm terrible with eye drops with that, but that yeah. seems like it'd be fun. Oh man, Greg, I think you're right. No <laughs> more. Let's. We can only do the drugs we have done up to this point. Yeah. That's how old we are. No yeah. more new ones. <laughs> do you guys want a nude rug? Mike. Greg. Yes. Mike? No, I like the clothed and layered rugs. I don't need like a skin colored rug. Greg? Greg? No, that was nonsense. That was a trick. <laughs> Mike. Damn it. <laughs> what was the original idea for the time machine instead of a DeLorean? Mike. Mike? Phone box. Phone box? Do you mean... Like a telephone box. What are those like called again? What Superman used to phone jump booth? in and out of. Ryan phone booth. Phone booth. Greg. Uh, Lamborghini Countach. Because <laughs> it still has those doors that open like that, yeah. right? That's the most important part. <laughs> and then it's also actually a fast car and not a pig like the DeLorean is. The worst <laughs> sports pig. car ever made. It was a sports car? <laughs> yeah, that was a sports car. It was heavy mm. and slow and made in Ireland. The answer is a refrigerator. Oh, that's so dangerous. Yeah. What? <laughs> Why did they change it from a fridge to a Del- DeLorean? Greg. Mike. Greg. That Punky Brewster episode. <laughs> Which one? The With, one where uh, the kid hides in the fridge and dies. That is correct. <laughs> the, 1985 had a string of suffocating children sitting in old fridges. <laughs> I know. I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> yeah. It's making you laugh even harder. <laughs> I'm nervous about this next one. Is hanging out in fridges actually dangerous to kids that are smart? Greg. Mike. Mike. Not at all. If you're smart enough, you can get your way out. Kids, go try it. Greg? I just think that only if you're in there for too long, but if you just go in there very briefly and prepare to come out, then you'll be fine. Yeah. I think that's right. Uh, same answer, but like more instructions. And that should be on the inside of the fridge. Yeah. For only being for in any for like kids. But the, the problem isn't that people forget they should leave the fridge. I know. That's uh. the whole joke. <laughs> that's the whole joke, Mike. That was the premise upon which I built that joke. I didn't get it. <laughs> you can't. Do, <laughs> the problem isn't that you stay in there too long. It's that the second that you're in there, you're stuck forever. Are the sequels to Back to the Future any good? Greg. Mike. Greg. Yeah. They're like uh, two is good and three is low key great. Mike. Yeah. Three is great. Two is fine. Oof. You're both are wrong. Three is low key great. Two is terrible. What Back Dang. to the Future based thing is actually worse than Back to the Future 2? Greg. Mike. Greg. Uh, the the NES game, Back to the Future. It is the Nintendo game. <laughs> Craig, why? What? Tell, tell us about that game. At one point, you, you have to fight Flying Toast. Like, if you were making a game for the NES, the problem was that, like, you could only make, like, so many types of video games, and they all had to have, like, bosses that move across, or, you know, bad guys that move across the screen, but there's just not that much of that in Back to the Future, so they just put in a bunch of nonsense, and every video game has, like, the cartoon weird sidekick. That's the whole world of the video game. You're just, like, running away from toast and mushrooms, the principal trying to catch you. Well, that's not weird nonsense. Burnt Toast features very prominently in the introduction of the movie where we're seeing how all of Doc's uh, experiments work, but not really. It's like, a, And he has like the auto breakfast and it works. It burns that toast. It's like a fever dream based on the movie. It's like if you watched the movie and then got really sick and got under like five blankets, the video <laughs> game is the dream that you would have while you sweat yourself to death. But no, yeah, I have to back up Mike here because uh, it goes, the camera goes past the burnt toast and then... Uh, on the wall, there's a newspaper headline that says "Burnt Toast, Not That Weird," and so <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's a fever dream at all, and very dangerous. Will attack you. <laughs> Do you guys have any trivia questions for me? Oh, I I got one. Yeah. Hey, Ryan. Ryan. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, what? Yes, I call on you. 
Uh-huh. Oh, uh, Greg, <laughs> Back to the Future 2 had a prequel. What was its name? Back to the Future. That is correct. I didn't we're gonna get a take... chance to answer that one. <laughs> well, it was my it was my turn. I said my name. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, more talk about the actual movie, Sans Toast. <laughs> well, that is very, very funny, or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about, or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at your pop filter. Email contacts at your pop filter. Hey everybody, keep watching them movies. The last thing before the other things I want to talk to you guys about with this movie is the concept of time. Is the movie saying anything about time as like a force or a villain or a construct? Or are clocks and just like asking what time is it just an obvious motif to return to throughout the movie? I feel like a lot of it is time functions to show how much things change. Mm-hmm. But then, if you really think about it on a deeper level, how much they stay the same. Oh, damn. <laughs> because I don't feel like the ravages of time are explored in this movie, but it shows the way store, like the the city, the town center, um, the very obvious looking set that as a kid I never realized was the most set-ass set ever. <laughs> but like the sort of town center, watching that change, there are dramatic differences. The storefronts all kind of shift around, but it's still the same buildings. They're just mm-hmm. repurposed. It's the same type of people going about the same type of business. Did you not have a Universal Studios family? I uh, We went a couple of times, oh, but yeah, God. this is like on that lot. Yeah, yeah and you but, see how big the, the clock tower platform it's matt you could do somersaults you're fine it's huge there, <laughs> there's so many parts of the the tram ride at universal studios that show like two-dimensional you know fake buildings but and as much as as set like as it looks and you're right they they built the shit out of this like they well, really built it to like be a functional town center clearly the way they pitched this was we're gonna if you give us the money for on practical effects we'll use them across three movies right that like yeah. the reason you could build this is because they knew that there were going to be three movies i guess only two of which actually use this city center and unfortunately they spent so much of the money on that time where marty pulls his hand up to see if he's like still exists uh-huh. and it's, it's a little clear i i have never seen anything look worse than that one thing <laughs> yeah it's crazy that our phones do better special effects than that right now the whole concept behind that is so nuts behind the picture thing well, yeah, Why would Marty brother... disappear first? And his head disappeared? Does that mean that somewhere in the universe, his brother exists just without a head? Yep. We, your baby Horrified. didn't have a head. Your baby was of, born headless. Because of some time travel hijinks. <laughs> There's time shenanigans. <laughs> One <laughs> thing I never noticed, though, before this watching was that uh, Doc looks at... The first time Doc sees the picture, he says, oh, this is terrible. Uh, yeah. This photo doesn't even have your brother's hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never noticed that before. I did not catch that. It's, it's a, a callback, Marty. Clear line. <laughs> uh, th- so the rabbit is interesting because, like, as things change, they don't they stay the same, except for Lorraine and George. It's very the difference between old Lorraine and George and new Lorraine and George is George grows up exactly how you'd expect him to grow up from meeting 1955 George to 85 one George, but Lorraine is torn up by time. So are they saying that like time doesn't? If you have hope, time can crush you. But if you don't have hope, you'll be fine with time. I think so, yeah. I think that like that was what I was talking about before is that George, it didn't matter who George married. He was just yeah. going to be George. But mm-hmm. for Lorraine, she put a lot of stock in like 
building a life and growing with someone. And when that didn't happen, she was a shell of her former self. And I think that's true with a lot of people at, like, yeah. at that time, you know? And then when she gets to grow with someone and, you know, have a relationship, then she's thin and happy. And everybody put a lot of, uh, you know, focus on how thin Lorraine was at any given point. Isn't in that the, movie. the first thing Marty yells out? I was like, yeah. Mom, you're so thin. Yeah. That's kind of messed up. <laughs> to which he gets a giant goose from George right afterwards. Don't you think you have learned about objectifying your mom at this point, Marty? No, nah, now he's regretting he didn't do more. Mom, There's no consequences. I just came from a time where you were a total 10, but you're still like an 8 at least. <laughs> Wait, that no, was mom. the first draft. <laughs> what if he was like, you know what, now I'm ready, and then moves in for a kiss. <laughs> uh, but there's a couple of other things, too, that I want to bring up. Like uh, Marty's watch never works. He's always shaking it, and yeah. it just it, it won't it, – it doesn't – basically, wearing the watch doesn't matter. There is no <laughs> point in it. And then at the end, um, Doc does the classic Harold Lloyd, I'm about to fall off uh, this clock, you know? Like, yeah. they do the safety last thing or safety first thing, and he changes the time. Like, yeah. he pulls the thing down, and time doesn't matter. And it might just be like, hey, look at all the ways that we can include time in a script, or – is there something more than that going on? Yeah, it, it's kind of especially because if Doc and Marty are outcasts who are both late, they're they're definitely not on normal person time throughout the movie. They're late to everything. Uh, but do they actually care about the actual important things? Not these this weird nebulous fake thing we've decided is important. And isn't the whole like series an exploration of like what do you do with your time? Like mm-hmm. how do you use it in your life right. to build up who you are? How do you use and like the way we see it most obviously is they jump around in time. But jump up, jump up little, and then get down. And then get yeah, down. In time. But what are you doing with you know, with the time that you are allotted? It's and because that like even at the end, this it needs three movies because then the first movie Marty doesn't get the importance of the time he is given because he wants to save his best friend's life so he says ten minutes should do it I'll go uh-huh. ten minutes early and then totally blows it like he's so late Mike <laughs> but yeah kid um I think that's the thing is that it's not that time doesn't matter but are you the kind of person who wastes time mm-hmm. you know are you the kind of the person who just doesn't do what you should do right now. And George and both Marty and Doc don't do that, right? Right. They spend their time working on things and coming up with ideas and creating. And not furthering the relationships. Going back to like a couple segments ago, you know, like uh, George decided to spend the current 85, the one that we have at the end of the movie, he decided to spend his time like, you know, having a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so time stopped not mattering to him all of a sudden time matters he's not shaking his wrist to get his watch to work he's taking advantage of the time that he has yeah he has a lovely tennis playing sexual relationship with his wife and is more successful oh those two fuck yeah yeah i'm surprised that when they go back they didn't have like six more kids his his pullout game must be strong (laughs) right because obviously yeah so he did learn the importance of time that butt squeeze, in. that is a parasite-level goose. <laughs> the, the, there's an interesting moment, like, it's a time and history, which are slightly different, but Marty uh, takes those high school kids through the entire history of rock and roll in three minutes, and uh-huh. they are super into the first two minutes of rock and roll. And then when he starts doing, like, power chords and uh, guitar soloing and, like, s- jumping around, they are less into it. So it's also like... And he starts playing off-tempo. Yeah, it, well, he he's he's a bit of a showboater. Yeah, uh, and so it's like let, take somebody through the journey they should go on, and you think they should go on, but also they have to have their own pace. 
See, isn't that his ultimate rejection? Isn't that his ultimate rejection, though, of the community spirit? Like, (laughs) if this is a movie about, like, turning away from your own personal universe to join in, like, the community experience, then what he does there is the, like, complete repudiation of that and shows that he hasn't digested the message of the movie yet, which is he takes something that is a community experience, rocking Mm -hmm. in a band, and then turns it into a solo so destructive that he ruins almost everything. He almost ruins rock and roll itself. I mean, like, (laughs) I have so many issues here. Like, first of all, Marty, we're motherfucking out of time. Like, he gets to the clock tower and Doc's like, you're so late. Yeah. You know what you could have done? Played one less song. He (laughs) He plays Earth Angel. We have the awesome moment where, like, he's about to fade. We see the great CGI of his hand. He comes up. He plays the guitar. The the rain and George kiss. And a really good kiss where, like, it was – that was climactic. And then almost – as if, like, the 80s police came in and said, like, hey, if you're going to make a movie in the 80s, you got to have some sort of music Party video. Party breakdown. Yeah. yeah. And then on top of that, so, like, it, it was totally unnecessary. And then on top of that, um, we now have that thing of, like, Back to the Future sucks because it stole black right. music. Or it's it sold the invention of rock and roll from black people and gave it to white people. Right. But I do think, one, when Marvin, Marvin Berry tells you, let's really get cooking now, it's hard to say no. Uh and that part of one of the arcs throughout the movie is Mar- Marty is like George and does not have confidence. So I do think him playing a song, like leading a song, is showing like, oh, look at that kid go now. Even though they all hated it. So uh, so this they, is him they like I think they liked the rejection. first. Ch- yeah, he, he he did not. He's like, oh wait, you know what's more important? Getting out of here and getting to the eighties. But he, had, I also think they liked the first part of Johnny Be Good. They when did. Yeah. When he was in sync with the rest of the band, yeah. they liked it. But when he rejected it, that for his individualist message. Icarus. He Icarus that mm. shit. One of my favorite parts of the movie is, and it's like for two seconds, but he starts playing. He starts singing Johnny Be Good in the most <laughs> Michael J. Fox singing voice I have ever heard. Obviously coming right from him at that moment. And uh, then it comes to the dance floor for two seconds, and they all look around like, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> Why don't we give this a shot? We'll We'll dance to it a little bit. And then... The only thing that I have left at the end is like one more jokey way of comparing 85 to 55 is that now we play guitar like this, <laughs> you know? Otherwise, I don't know what the point is. Yeah, I think it's just fun. You know, I, Ryan, I think that um, there is a chance that there are there were things that were cut from the story that centered maybe a little bit more on music. I think that there's... I think the big set piece at the end of the movie with the clock tower and stuff, although iconic, and and I I think you're talking about the themes of like him setting, you know, changing the time as he is holding on to it. I think there's a lot of ways in which that doesn't get tied into the logic of the rest of the movie. It kind of like, what is that struggle there? What does it represent? What, like, why do we spend 10 minutes watching them try to hook this all up on a thematic level? That feels like Doc's side adventure because a movie needs danger at the end. Yeah, like, Speaking of time, like, Greg, you and I were talking about this before the show that, like, uh, is there an added purpose to all of this? And it really does feel like, oh, no, we have to hit this amount of time in the movie. You know, it has to be this long. And so it cuts back to the DeLorean's out of gas. The DeLorean, you know, like, we can't do this. The keys won't work. Every single thing that can go wrong with Doc goes wrong. And maybe it's because... It, maybe it's more annoying because we've seen it so many times that we know how it's going to end. But I feel yeah. like that if you watch this for the first time in 85, you know how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time in the movie where you're like, I feel the minutes. I feel how long the movie is. The The other way of looking at it, though, is that we take for granted our existence because it just happens and that's always the way it's been. But this movie dares to look backwards and think and ask the question of like, 
how probable is it that you would exist? And he is trying to make sure that he can construct his own existence here. And I think the movie goes through a litany of ways in which we are just barely the people who exist instead of our parents fathering different children or instead of our parents never meeting at all. Like we are celestial improbabilities. And so this movie walks you through that. These are all the things that nearly stop Marty and his and his siblings from existing. And yet they exist still. And we live on that that the head of that pin, you know. And then isn't the other way of thinking is that, like, he always went back, he always played Johnny B. Good. Like, right. it has to go down like that. Well, this is one of those movies where I think you don't want to start going down that rabbit hole. Because we saw one, we saw the first 85, right? Yeah. So we, then that... And, like, I think it, the movie starts to unspool, right? Time travel hijinks generally are, I think, more interesting when you don't start getting into the technicalities of, like, what the paradoxes are. <laughs> Oh, my God, guys, it's speed round time. This is your last chance to get points before the next time. Here we go. Which of Marty's shirts would you wear? I'd wear that vest, dude. Did you guys remember how many times they brought up the vest? Yeah, they are obsessed with that vest. I also were were vests huge in the 80s. It seems like he's always kind of dressed stupidly. But his 50 shirts, there's one white one with like a bunch of little triangles on it. I would wear every single one of Marty's 1950s outfits. Everybody, awesome. Everybody in the 50s scenes looks exponentially better than they do in the 85 scenes. That seems to be part of the point of it. There's one, Mike, that reminded me a lot of you where it's like on Marty. I think he's talking to his dad. They're coming up with a plan to like fake rape his mom. And uh, (laughs) it looks like uh, there's like a lot of Paisley-ish. Yeah. uh, Like somebody spirographed a little bit all over the shirt. I thought Mm -hmm. that one would be the one that you pick. I'd wear the shit out of it. We should have done a shopping spree. Miss McFly is a 50s girl trying to get it in. Is her Tina Belcher-like horniness weird or refreshing for our show? I love it. Oh, wait. I forgot the rules of this. We don't have to to (laughs) but please go ahead, Mike. No, I agree with Greg. It's great. It's it's very refreshing if you take out the fact that it's directed towards her son most of the time. Yeah, except for that one little element. It just seemed like a genuine depiction of how horny teens of both all genders are. (laughs) And one of the few times where the... Where the movies 55 pushed back on the whole like sitcom as history. Like, mm-hmm. girls yeah. wanted to fuck, just like they yeah. always have since the dawn of time. Yeah, boys wanted to peep, girls wanted to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like one of those, uh, like, when you write a song called, like, 1985, which is, like, back in my day, like a Bowling for Soup song. <laughs> Marty invents skateboards and rock and roll. Which children's hobby would you have invented if you were pushed back then? Hula hoop. Why? For what reason? To just to make that sweet hula hoop money. <laughs> finding porn, finding dirty ripped porn in the trees. That's that's the one I would invent. <laughs> Wait, in the forest or up in the trees? Yeah, like you want little kids to climb. Wait, yeah. How did you guys first find this porn? Mine was like, up in the trees. Is that just a porn tree? Yeah, that's where porn comes <laughs> we from. We planted the, porn. The, in the mythical forest. porn tree. I also do think like the 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 rock and roll thing is so egregious because. He steals rock and roll from the black people, which the white man would continue to do. But it does feel like if there was a string of him inventing a bunch of things, not just two things, you'd be like, okay, he invented a bunch of things that are funny. But because it's just skateboarding and then the rock and roll, you're like, "Mm, let's really talk about that rock and roll. (laughs) I have heard theories that it was a play on the fact that, like, you know, Marty was just being Elvis. Like, it was a play on the whole thing that, like, we have to steal from the black people. Uh But watching it, I I think that it's, it's just another case of, like, 
white people have no idea how offensive their writing is. Like yeah. it never even dawned on them that like what they would be doing is stealing this black invention. Because Especially black because people to them are something that like happens in your life. Like mm-hmm. on the side, there will be a couple of black people sometimes. Right. They don't. So they don't honestly think of it as like a lived full three dimensional experience. And, and there's it, no black people involved in the movie. There's not. They yeah. don't hire one to say like, "Hey, guys, this is weird. Right. What, if, what if we didn't do this?" And it, like, there's definitely 85 versions of showing Marty's better. He's friends with. He's nice to Goldie Wilson when he's just a soda boy, and he's nice to the band that other teens that the, they straight up say racial slurs. Uh, yeah. And Marty's like pals with them, and he's like, "See, Marty's a good one," uh, but he still steals rock and roll from them. <laughs> no such thing as a good white boy. This movie is nearly two hours long, and yet feels like 45 minutes. Is this just the greatest paced movie of all time, or is there another reason why it goes by so quickly? I have the correct answer in my head, so get it right and get points. I am a big baby about long movies, and so when this was over, I was like, 90 minutes, that's how long a movie's supposed to be. And it is almost two hours, and I I think that it is just very uh, well paced, Mm -hmm. and it's constantly seeding things later in the movie so that it, it, it explains a lot. The movie explains a lot of stuff. But it is just very well balanced, always escorting you from one piece of action to the next. And I think there's something so genius about we know as the viewers, Marty's adventure will be a week long because yeah. Doc says <laughs> next Saturday, we're getting you back to the future. And then we just know we have to go through the week. And so you're never getting lost. You're like, was that one day? Was that 10 days? <laughs> Where are we exactly? Except it's a little scary at one point because Doc's like, no, you have to stay inside this house the entire time. That would have been a bummer of a movie. Oh, yeah. Just yeah, Marty, yeah. like, risky businessing all over the house. Could you imagine just having to stay in a house for a long time? <laughs> Ugh. A Ugh. whole week. I would freak out and go protest that I need a haircut. Uh, does this movie have both the greatest Tab Soda reference and the greatest Pepsi Free reference of all time? Yes. The Pepsi Free one. I mean, Tab, I, th- I, th- I feel like people are still aware of that. But Pepsi Free? When was the last time anybody's heard that? They chose a I learned that from time. this movie. <laughs> I mean, that makes Huey Lewis being in this like a classical, oh, of course he is, looking yeah. thing. Pepsi Free is like the, the basis of a punchline in this movie. And it's so clearly, like this this movie is, I think, a very lively example of cynical, cynical capitalism. Mm-hmm. Very clearly, like that joke is constructed so that they could sell that to Pepsi. <laughs> Good job on the speed round. It's over now. We're going to go back to talking real slow and hand out some awards. Gentlemen, I'm going to say this is the most important part of our evening tonight. I'm going to go out on a limb. Actually, it may have gotten nominated for Oscars. There might be a screenplay Oscar or something for Back to the Future. Did anybody do research? Nah, I'm not the goddamn host. Be against policy to do research unless it was specifically assigned. All right, well, next time I will assign do all research that I want you guys to do. (laughs) We're going to give out our own awards, and unlike the Oscars, these are all going to go to Back to the Future. This is a comedy. In fact, Eric Stoltz got fired because he didn't think it was, (laughs) and he just just acted like Daniel Day-Lewis the entire time. (laughs) Our first award is LOL Moment. Was this a comedy? Greg, what is the LOLinist moment? It it's like for most of the movie it's like kind of comedy adjacent. Like there's a like mm-hmm. you know, it's comedy in the sense that it feels like everything's gonna turn out to be all right. Um but there is one LOL moment that stands above others and uh it's when Marty is talking to Doc in nineteen fifty five and Doc is wearing the big metal contraption on his head and Marty's like laying out for him exactly what happens and the contraption is supposed to allow Doc to read Marty's thoughts. And when Marty says all that stuff, Doc says, Marty 
do you know what that means? And Marty's like, no, Doc. And he's like, it means this damn thing doesn't work at all. <laughs> and that is a legit LOL moment. Also, for anyone who's ever had a wife or a husband or a girlfriend or boyfriend or friend or mom or dad, that's how every conversation goes. Like, you didn't fucking listen to a <laughs> damn thing I said. You are just thinking about your stupid helmet the entire time. <laughs> Mike, what do you have? Uh, mine is in the 50s cafe when George is trying to get confidence and he goes up and says, Lou, give me a milk and slaps the table and says, chocolate. (laughs) And then drinks it like it's a whiskey. That's pretty good too. This is a weird part because when we were talking about 1955, we were saying like, this is the sitcom idealized version, but this is the time where it really goes over the top. Like that stands out in the movie as Mm -hmm. even less realistic than the rest of the movie. That's airplane style. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Farcical. Also, it's also not going to happen because if you get a glass of chocolate milk, you don't take one drink and then leave it. You finish that chocolate (laughs) milk as fast as you can. And then you run to the bathroom as fast as you can and shit the fast as you You can. If you're me. You take one really big sip and then realize if you're not careful, you're going to drink the chocolate milk in two sips. So then you take it in like three additional tiny sips. And then finally you just give in and drink it in all in one (laughs) remaining sip. I am going to give it to Greg because it's uh, Doc Brown, who I do think uh, is the clear funny person in the movie. Um, but the actual winner, if I can weigh in, is uh, when, for some reason, it's always I've never forgotten. It's always gotten me when he says he didn't have time to make it exactly to scale or paint the models. <laughs> and he's talking about this perfectly <laughs> yeah. laid out yeah. city of Town Square. <laughs> and Marty's like, all right, dude, Jesus. Uh, biggest paradox. We've been dancing around talking about time travel uh, because it's hard in time travel movies to like it, it's boring it takes up all of the time if you want to talk about it but was there one that really stood out to you greg for me it's kind of like the biggest one of the movie which is marty leaves his version of 1985 and goes back to 1955 and changes things and then he comes back to a world that's changed but he's the same Mm-hmm. There is some other Marty out there. Where is the new 1985's version of Marty? Well, he went back to 55, right? They watched. He watched the new Marty go back to 55. Oh, that's true. So I don't know what happens when the next one gets back. That's when they it gets, kill each other. That's when it gets prestige. <laughs> that's when if you are the one that you know you're in the wrong time. You just avoid the other one. I think that's what the second movie points yeah. out. You just try to like always be behind them. You Ben Riley that <laughs> shit. You just go be a Scarlet Spider in a different city. Is it? I, I know that we've talked about this on multiple episodes of Movie of the Year, which is awesome. But is your guys' first instinct when you see old or new Greg or Mike to fight or fuck? I I believe you're instantly thrown into a rage and you try to kill your doppelganger in any situation that's not twins. And I think you're instantly thrown into a Leah Thompson horny mess and you light candles and get down. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Mike. Uh, it's it's a doppelgangbang where I call your guys' <laughs> doppelgangers and then we party. Mike, what is your paradox? Uh, it is where Marty lays it out uh, very flusteredly. He says, if there's no music, they can't dance. If they can't dance, they can't kiss. If they can't kiss, they can't fall in love. And I'm history. And you're like, mm, <laughs> this would have been better if you didn't lay out everything that had to happen. Because now I'm thinking about it. Mike. But, I mean, that's classic, um, you know, hard sci-fi for mainstream audiences, right? Like, yeah. you have to sometimes give them the little boost. So, yeah, Mike, you're going to take that down. Uh, the next one is cringiest moment. Um, and we've got a lot of them in this movie. Uh, but 
Oh, man, there's so much to go on. <laughs> I'm just going to ask you guys what you thought. Uh, Mike, what is the cringiest moment of the movie? In the new 1985, uh, Biff is getting in trouble for not waxing, not doing the second coat of wax, and George says, that Biff, always been a character, always up to something. And now we know he is directly referencing the time Biff tried to rape Lorraine. Always up to something. To have her assault her just in her life so he can keep bullying him is disturbing. So, yeah, basically he takes over as the Biff role, but then sort of says uh, sexual assault is boys will be boys when Mm -hmm. he's talking about Biff. Yeah. Greg, what do you have for cringiest moment? For me, it's along the same lines. To construct a plan where you have to sexually (laughs) assault your mom is such a clear indication that like rape culture is such a like that our culture just is a rape culture like how could you ever get there what byzantine way would you like come up with some other plan and then we watch marty try to like gear himself up to do it and that is like the definition of cringe watching this guy try to get the courage to sexually assault his mom ryan i don't know if i can do this but you guys both lose (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> somebody at some point was like i don't know libyans and they just had them as screaming rocket launcher having terrorists and two of them like that's that's the sum total of this libyan move is just two guys in a van well, no the rest of the cell is somewhere else planning things i'm sure <laughs> also when they crash into that photo booth it's like they disappear from existence they're i assume they die yeah. but i mean it's like they never existed <laughs> They time traveled. Yeah, yeah, they probably thought they were going to go through time. <laughs> oh, well, if they can do it, I can this do it. This must be like an American thing. <laughs> um, this next one's interesting to me because this is a guy who I've, I've liked Robert Zemeckis for a long time. One of my favorite movies that we've ever done for Movie of the Year is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, this is the Forrest Gump guy. This is difficult because he sort of makes mainstream movies better than you would think mm-hmm. they were as opposed to like being an auteur. You know, um, and he gets a lot of shit for being Spielberg Jr., who Spielberg was a producer on this movie. But did you guys see something in this movie that was like, oh, that's that's fucking Zemeckis. What that's his move. Greg, where do you go from there? Uh, For me and you referenced this earlier, Ryan, uh, I like Robert Zemeckis. He makes good movies, but he is a style over substance guy every day of the week and maybe as many as two times on Sundays. Um, the, the central visual of the movie and of the poster of the two lines of fire uh, going through the, the legs of the, of the two guys, it's a cool image, but it's an image that talks to such like a weird like logic of the movie where he, he drove this car at him and his kid friend because he thought that at 88 miles an hour it was going to disappear, and he thought that it would get up to that speed before it did, and he was just barely right so he's willing to risk everything for this one cool shot. That seems like Zemeckis. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think Doc Brown flexes his blueprint capabilities, you know, like how he can figure out any, like at the end of the movie, he's like, well, I've, you know, I've designed this based on how windy it is right now and how much, you know, resistance there will be on the uh-huh. car. And he, and he likes that. But that's something that you brag about at that point before the experiment, not literally in the minute of the experiment <laughs> that we figured doing out. Doing that is so cynical, really, when you start thinking about it. And I do think that's the the beginning of Rick and Morty, the show, is what kind of monster would do the thing that he just did? And right. then that whole show kind of grows out of that. It's not the doc we get. It's the doc that Rick actually is. is there's the person who would do that. But I do agree that with you that like it's not doc, it's a mechanist. Like yeah. I can see in the script it says car drives away from them. <laughs> In the safest <laughs> way possible. 
<laughs> and Zemeckis like you know touches his pen nope. to his tongue and he's like oh I got why this why are you even in the parking lot of a mall if you're just gonna drive the car fucking at yourself like just be on a the street then if you go to the parking lot of the mall it indicates that you're going to want to be somewhere where it's safe well it was the 80s we loved malls we really fucking yeah, loved malls back then malls they didn't ruled. even have gyms Mike, in them yet what's the Zemeckis thing yeah, I don't. I don't have a shot. I, I thinking about his oeuvre. Uh, if you look at Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Death Becomes Her, and even Forrest Gump, and even Contact, it's uh, and this movie, it's what makes America America tucked into a fun, zany movie. So you don't even realize that that's what he's talking about the whole time is what the fabric of who we are and how we deal with that. So being able to like bury that shit under yeah typical mall movies yeah. That's a good one. Um, it, but like, it More doesn't than make my me. My entire one. This is an outrage. I'm gonna pull a Tompkins. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't make me like uh, respect him less. It sort of makes me respect him more. Like, I don't want to watch fucking four hour black and white movies with subtitles. I want to watch mainstream movies mm-hmm. and pretend they're four hour mo- movies with subtitles. Um, also, I forgot about Contact. Is Robert Zemeckis right now the most moody director? You know, he, he really might be. We've done all the, like, because we've done three of his? Yeah. yeah. Holy cow. Should these be called the Zemeckis? It's the Zemeckis. The last one is pound for pound performance. That means that uh, you don't have to give it to the lead. You can just, who did the most with the limited screen time that they had? Mike, we're starting with you. PFP I, performance. I think the three versions we get of Lorraine, I think Leah Thompson injects such, like, you know who core Lorraine is now, and you know what is different b- b- between each specific part of her life. I think she does so much with a, a role that doesn't ask for that much. You're such a fucking nerd. Like, we have core Lorraine, core. and then we have Lorraine <laughs> Universe 1865. Uh, 1985.2 Lorraine. <laughs> All right, so Leah Thompson for Mike. Greg, what do you think? In most movies, it's like hack to give it to the lead. Um, but in this one, it feels hack to give it to the sidekick. But uh, Christopher Lloyd as Doc, it's such a basic bitch answer, but I just I can't give any like he is selling every reading he is selling in the background of every shot and not in a way that's like, hey, look at me, just in a way that's like delivering. And he manages part of why this movie goes so quickly, I think, is because he manages to put entertainment into the sides and the margins of every Mm. scene that he's in. And then when he's up to bat, he also delivers there. It's a virtuoso performance. Greg. It's Greg, and here's why. Uh, the uh, the one that you sent in for the Oscars is when uh, there's no dialogue, but uh, Lorraine comes over, like figures out <laughs> that Marty's at Doc Brown's house, which is literally impossible for her yeah. to do, but uh, figures it out, and then Doc Brown lets her in and then stands behind her yes. glaring at <laughs> him the whole time. Like, what the fuck are we doing here, bro? Get her out. This is your mother. And his eyes like never go below <laughs> six inches wide. It is amazing. So, yeah, Greg, you take that point down. We're going to take a break. Congratulations to all the winners. And when we come back, I'm going to announce the next show and what we're doing next week. And then also who won this episode. There we go. Yeah. Not even pausing recording. And we are back. Gentlemen, this is, again, the number one seed. After watching it, do you guys think, and then seeing what else is in the future of the back it, brack, brack to the future? Is there something there? Anything? Let's workshop that. Uh, 
<laughs> let's not do it on air, but let's workshop that one. What did you guys think of the movie rewatching it this week? And then also, is this season a Slammy D? I think it's delightful. It's still delightful. I was very worried it was going to like puncture to take some wind out of its sails. It, it is a blast to watch. Um, I'm going to go watch the next two the minute we stop recording uh, just to live in this world longer. But I don't know. There's so many movies I've never seen in this list, and there's some names on this list that it feels trite to say. Of course, Back to the Future can take down Kurosawa and Brazil. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, it's our job. Just like Rushmore, you know, we're looking for the most iconic. It's our job to say the movie of the year, and it doesn't necessarily mean best. And that's where I think we run into problems, where Mm -hmm. that's – because Back to the Future is 85, and I'm curious to see if the Kurosawa, the the Gilliam, the, you know, Mishima, the Paul Schrader movie, like, can they outshine this movie so much that they can be declared the winner? I think that this movie is a strong first seed, but we have seen much stronger first seeds, and I think that or weaker, bot like two through yeah, eight. Yeah, and so I think that there there's a lot of possibilities for kind of dark horse movies that are very very good movies, but are less popular to come break through. But I have to say, um, I don't think that this was like an empty hollow experience. This movie like sets out to be a popcorn movie and is like the best version of that. I mean, it's, it's, if there is not really a distinction between pop and art, then this is a a great, you know, piece of pop art. Especially like in this year or in this era, like it's, we're doing it the second episode, but if we had done Goonies or breakfast club or when other years we had done like Ferris Bueller or pretty in pink or whatever, I think that you start to see that like, Oh, the the main characters are 17 therefore we don't give a shit about anything else like they'll just go watch it and we don't we're not gonna try and this movie really it just happens to have a 17 year old and it tries on every single level Uh, and succeeds the one thing that i think is tough for it is we it's a weird field that is like almost constructed to come at this movie in a lot of different ways because by having a goonies is that going to split a little bit of our like childhood favoritism moments but then it are having movies like brazil and ran are that gonna like take a too hard a run at the filmic aspect and then the breakfast club is that gonna like attack the teen dimension like it feels like there's a lot of ways it and could then we all just votes we all just gently land on back to the future that covers all of the yeah. bases <laughs> i can see that yeah I, I i do think this movie is hard to deny i do not think that the last 10 years of building it up is wrong Plus, for if we're talking about a movie that defines the year, this is the only movie that screams 1985 numerous times throughout the movie. <laughs> Nobody else does that. So. It appears on screen like eight times. We don't know. I mean, like, Akira Kurosawa's Ron, all the characters could be like, God, is it still 1985? <laughs> all this samurai doing lines in the bathroom. <laughs> all right, gentlemen, um, I do have to announce a winner. Um, coming in at third place was me with two points. <laughs> nice. Not a bad show for the host. I don't know if that solves any of like your tension, but do you guys think that while I get this like guest hosting job for the eighty five season, do you guys think it's possible that I do come in second place for one of these shows? <laughs> I would be furious. It's hard it's hard to do. You'd have to really give yourself a lot of points. But I can you though. You can, yeah. yeah. You, you've got the you've got the you got the scorecard. Cannot stop you. 
Oh man, and just to look at Mike and say I beat him, like you know, <laughs> like what delight that fills me with. Uh, Mike, you've got uh, thirteen times more points than I did. You have a twenty-seven. Very good. Okay. But Greg had thirty-three Whoa. points this week. Whoa. Shit. Dang, I beat you. you I beat time, you Greg. by three Ryan's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Greg, that does make you feel sad. Is this your first competitive victory? It is. This is my second competition. I lost my first ever, and uh, I was surprised by the fact that like it got under my skin. I thought about it all week long, <laughs> and I was like, I wanted to show up and be prepared, and I'm going to be to in what the Brits would say, chuffed all week over this victory. I think a couple of things happened. Um, one, you talked a lot about like you know you said oedipus and oedipal mm-hmm. and that sounds smart and i have to give you those points yeah, for sure you know but and then the other thing too is that like if mike wins two weeks in a row how do we even handle that yeah like i will be insufferable <laughs> i'm just saying that now so you guys have it on record <laughs> just so you know i'm gonna be an ass yeah if i had lost i bet i would have had a rough week i would have been like over oh, two huh okay i would have texted you every day about it <laughs> And I'm going to be honest, I would love to send you guys messages through the score. I would love to be like, Greg, you suck at this. Mm-hmm. But the only way I'm going to say it is by giving you a lower score. Or, Mike, um, I really need you to not keep asking me to pay back that $500 <laughs> loan. So I'm going to give you a higher score. But it's it, it's just the drop pad. It's just the numbers and the math. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this. Gentlemen, Greg and Mike, thank you so much for uh, going back to the future with me. Next week, we're going to take a week off from our 85 season of movies. And we did a Rushmore tonight that I thought worked out pretty well. But next week, we're gonna say we're gonna see what other people think about the music of '85, and we're going to collaborate on a mixtape. And we'll see how that goes. I don't know. <laughs> Pregnant pause. We haven't done it. Fun. <laughs> it's just every time the unnatural twenties come into the studio, shit gets strong, crazy. chaotic energy. Yeah, <laughs> but that's next week. For this week, my name is Ryan. That was Mike and Greg. Thank you so much, and we will talk to you soon. Keep watching those movies!